namo tassa pakavato arahato samasamputassa namo tassa pakavato arahato samasamputassa namo tassa pakavato arahato samasamputassa uttang dhammang sankhang namasami I suppose everyone's doing Christmas shopping, is that? It's one of the great joys of being a monk. I don't <laughs> have to do Christmas shopping. We sometimes get Christmas refugees here. <laughs> People escaping their families. Potentially Christmases can, can be very beautiful, depends on your family, but they are also, I've heard, it can be very fractious. So it's the season of goodwill, ho, 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 good cheer. <laughs> These can all seem like cliches and, and uh, we get quite cynical about these things. Gift giving is lovely, you know, to make something for someone, isn't it? Like if you sew something or make, make a pie or craft a piece of furniture and give it to them, it's quite a beautiful, beautiful uh, thing to do as a human being. I suppose once it becomes obligatory and there's expectations and there's elbows in the head at the shopping and uh, then it becomes a hassle. But the spirit, the spirit of giving, and the spirit of goodwill. And so the, the Buddhist uh, meditation on goodwill is a very important part of liberation, of freedom. And uh, as, as a meditation in itself, you always have to the challenge, the basic challenge of meditation is stay awake. <laughs> Whatever meditation you do, whether you're doing breath or contemplating death or contemplating loving kindness, because the uh, themes of meditation are very repetitive, they're very simple, quite often they are soporific. In other words, they put you to sleep. Uh, so underlying all, all uh, Buddhist meditation techniques is this kind of assumption of vitality that you have to somehow learn how to bring vitality into the present moment around something which is calming rather than exciting. And this is the, the challenge of doing something calming that your mind doesn't slip into falling asleep. And the usual way to do that is just through learning how to develop a strong hara, uh, belly, uh, a strong, <clears throat> like a really strong, tall posture, open chest, and somehow, at least that's what I do, learning how to vitalize that physical system when you need to. And sometimes you don't need to, you just, you know, you, you just can't, you know, get a lot of energy. At other times you just, just can't, can't stay, you know, just the gravity is so strong, you're hitting the concrete all the time. So then you know, the skill of the meditator is to know that time of day or that type of mood that comes in into consciousness uh, and knowing how to lift yourself above it and this is true of all meditations that there are certain hindrances to meditation which prevent us from actually taking the central object of our meditation and vitality is one of the problems you, you have to sort of figure out for yourself so sitting on chairs sometimes uh, like you imagine you're sitting on a really soft sofa is not really all that great for meditation. You're kind of slumped over. Whereas if you sit on a hard chair, you get your back, you get more energy. So that's something you're always uh, trying to work with.
Having got that in place, most of the meditations you find in Buddhism, they begin with some sense of uh, optimism. So like homage to the Buddha is a very optimistic statement because it's homage to a teacher who realized something which is profound and he offered that teaching to us. So for me as a card-carrying Buddhist, these devotional recitations have a have a power to, of optimism. If you're not kind of into Buddhist symbology and so on, then, then how do you bring into your mind to say that well, there is a goal in life, you know, there is a spiritual goal, there is a possibility of enlightenment, that there is something profoundly peaceful and compassionate in the human heart. You know, what, how do you bring that optimism to mind and positivity? That's up to you how you do that. So we just use, we use a, a tradition the tradition can become parrot, you know, just kind of go through the motions and so on. So you always have to, even a tradition, you have to enliven it. And then in, in, in the kind of classic Buddhist meditation, the recommendation is a, a recitation of, a, of the metta sutta or the, the discourse on loving kindness or goodwill. And that's interesting. That precedes all, all other meditations. So goodwill is a kind of attitude which lightens the mind makes uh, practices of awareness and meditation doable. If the mind is configured with some aversion to what's going on in your mind right now, and you're trying to get rid of it, and you're not aware of that, meditation won't work, because the underlying attitude is one of of aversion, rather than openness to what is, goodwill to what is, and then working with what is in your meditation. So goodwill is, is a kind of attitude which, it's so primary, that I, I kind of, I make it for myself, it's synonymous with awareness. I say awareness and goodwill are really part of the same package. So as human beings, we can, uh, we have attitudes, right? And those attitudes can be skillful or unskillful. So the two that we look at are ill will and goodwill. And ill will, anger, annoyance, rage, uh, hatred, you know, the kind of varieties in this whole spectrum of aversion that we can have. It's suffering in itself. It's not nice to be angry or have hatred rifling through your mind. I mean, that's not a very pleasant state of mind, unless you're, I guess some people enjoy it. You know, some people enjoy being angry, don't they? They like, be, they like hatred. They enjoy um, feeling self-righteous, don't they? And that's, that's grim. When someone really enjoys their hatred, that I don't think we have that problem here. It's usually the other. We don't like ourselves when there is anger. But you see in the world, people will really get off on their hatred. And that's frightening. And we'll use hatred as a, and rationalize it with racist attitudes and, and, and all manner of you know, horrible, horrible things. Fortunately, monasteries usually don't attract that kind of person. And uh, that's why I live here. One of the reasons. So we're usually not in that camp. We're in the other camp of, of feeling guilty about anger, feeling frustrated by our own anger, and so on and so forth. So anger in itself is not, not pleasant. It's suffering. We want to get out of suffering. It's the kind of primary teaching of the Buddha, isn't it, to, to liberate us from suffering. And it's not just the kind of emotional content of anger that is... A problem. It's the very distracting nature of anger, the very 
preoccupying nature of aversion that prevents us from going more deeply into consciousness because we're distracted. If my mind is preoccupied with self-hatred or annoyance at someone else, then that very preoccupation with uh, the characteristics of someone else or my own characteristics, that preoccupation, that kind of busyness of mind is suffering, but it also prevents me from getting deeper than thought, deeper than, uh, than that narrative that I'm into. So it's a kind of double bind. If you think, well, I'm just, you know, I have to be a good person, I have to get rid of the anger, then that's another kind of preoccupation. So I have aversion, and then I preoccupy myself with guilt. And I go, I shouldn't have aversion. And then I rationalize my aversion. Yeah, but the, you know, the person really is awful. And then, oh, but I shouldn't be angry. And that's still preoccupation. I'm still preoccupied with the objects of, of awareness, and I'm not really going deeply into consciousness because my mind is outside, as it were, in thought, in memory, in narrative. So there's a great value in not going there, right? Both because to not to, to be free from anger is beautiful. It's just lovely not to be pissed off at everyone <laughs> or whatever. It's a really lovely state of mind. But more importantly, more importantly, it makes you available to the deeper possibilities of the spiritual life. Hmm? And that's interesting. That's very, very interesting. So it's a kind of uh, gateway to the end of suffering in a profound way. Very, very profound way. And the the attitudes of goodwill are, are very much encouraged in Buddhism, very, very much encouraged. And if you think about it, like the attitudes of the heart that we can exhibit and, and cultivate and nourish as human beings, generosity, gratitude, compassion, joy, peacefulness, these are all very wholesome, very skillful states of mind. And Buddhism is quite often divided up in that way. What is it about your conscious experience, your habits, and so on, the way you manifest in the world, which is skillful? And what is it about your habits and how you manifest in the world, which is unskillful? And then, how can you enhance that which is good and strong and skillful and gives good results, brings you to peace, brings you to silence, and brings others to that too? And what is it about your own conditioning that takes you away from that? And that's the kind of assessment we can do, which is not a judgment. It's not like I, I shouldn't be angry. It's more like, yeah, I'm really, I'm really always critical or angry at people. And that, I'd like to work on that. And then the other, yeah, but I, you know, I do have this generous streak. That gives me a lot of joy. Yeah, and it's a kind of assessment, right? And that is pretty fundamental to Buddhist practice, is uh, upholding wholesome. Uh, energize the wholesome, make it strong in yourself. And the wholesome always is about me and you. It's not just about me getting me for me. It's rather that, that whatever attitudes I develop, this should be good for both of us. Compassion is good for both of us. Kindness is good for both of us. So the other is important. The other is important. And the, the way that goodwill is, is talked about is that, that goodwill can manifest in many ways, but its most basic manifestation of goodwill is in morality. That in the way of talking about Buddhist ethics or Buddhist morality is that, that like, say, I'm someone who values life. 
I like to be alive right now. I don't want to be killed. I don't want to be hurt. And just as I value my life, other beings value their life in the same way. And goodwill has that component of, I will value your life, I value my life, I won't hurt you, I don't want to be hurt. The same with feelings. Uh, I don't want my, my iPad to be stolen. <laughs> I don't want my chisels to be taken away. Uh, I don't want to be robbed. I don't want the monastery to be broken into, so I won't steal your iPad or your chisels or break into your workshop. Right? It's this kind of um, deep sensitivity to my own sense of what is right is also what your sense of what is right. There's something like fidelity in relationships. No one likes to be cheated on. No one likes to be lied to or cheated on in relationships. And hence, I won't do that to anyone else. With speech, no one... I don't like to be rubbished and abused with speech. I don't like people lying to me. Okay, so I won't do that to others. And then sobriety. I don't really like drunk people around me. And I don't like people who are really stoned all the time. They're kind of dumb. So I'm not going to get drunk or stoned and put that on someone else. Very simple. Simple kind of reflections on morality. Rather than it being evil to lie or whatever, it's like, it's, it's not kind, it's not gentle, it's not coming from goodwill. And the results in our own mind and society are a disaster. So I just got a letter from someone whose partner's just cheated three times, two young kids, just a complete schlamazel. And I think, God, why don't people just be honest, right? And it's just sort of so much pain, so much pain from that. And that's selfishness, isn't it? You know, some one person in a partnership defined, decides to be selfish and messes it all up for others. So goodwill, that's the kind of basic, basic sense of goodwill that we have. Goodwill also manifests as compassion. So if, you, if you're hurting, and I see you're hurting, I don't want you to hurt. I want to see how I can help you, right? And it's the opposite of cruelty. And you say, oh, yeah, you break your leg. Oh, good on you. <laughs> or it makes a stupid joke about your broken leg. But actually, no, goodwill is just compassion. So it's action, too. Goodwill is action. It's not just kind of a passive meditation that I do and then I never act in the world. So compassion, that's action. And then a goodwill also has a component of joy. Like if you, if you are very successful in your career or um, something you're doing or in your meditation or uh, you have a lot of joy in your own life, that goodwill for me is like, ah, good on you. May you have even more rather than Oh, I wish I had that. You know, that kind of sour grapes that we have. You know, someone goes to Florida and saying, oh, I, I wish I was going to Florida. You know, it doesn't have to be about me. <laughs> and that's, that's joyous, isn't it? That, that sense of what we call mudita. When I, when I see you um, happy in your own way, I don't have to say, oh, I don't have that. I wish I... And it's opposite of jealousy. In jealousy, you look at like something like joy... Joy does not preoccupy your mind. Joy energizes your mind, right? The empathetic joy of someone's success. Whereas jealousy, it is preoccupy your mind. And, and that preoccupation itself is suffering. 
but it prevents you from going deeply and realizing the enlightenment of, of consciousness. And then goodwill also is a kind of sense of connection with nature, with the nature of things, that whatever is going on, it's natural right now, the way it is. A sense of peacefulness with the way it is. This is a, this is a kind of a goodwill. Like it's if I'm a skier, and the, and the snow is melting, I say, oh gosh, there goes the warm weather again. That's not goodwill. <laughs> because what? Because I want weather to be other than it is. But it is this way. And a sense of goodwill is a kind of acceptance and peacefulness with that. So these are what we call, as I think most of you know, the Brahma Viharas. They are, these are what we call the divine abidings, the divinity as a, as a state of consciousness in your own heart, rather than divinity as an external force in the cosmos. Uh, I'm sure those exist, or I'm not sure those exist, I don't know, but I know in my own heart there is compassion, there is goodwill, there is joy, there is peace, and we can plug into those, and those are pretty basic to the enlightened mind. So we're encouraged to develop those. And the opposite, fear and anger and jealousy and, and greed and all those, those guys are really not skillful things and if you kind of preoccupy with those you suffer but also you're denied entry into the gates of heaven being your own consciousness being your own mind being the divine abiding so this sense of brahma viharas is what we the, the way we do, uh, come from the pali brahma being the kind of sense of divinity and vihara being place or abiding place so the basic format is this sense of goodwill which i was trying to introduce here in this little meditation, and and notice what you're doing. You're you're first of all in that meditation. You're taking an associative connection. So when I think of Lomposumera, who is the teacher up here uh, in that picture, and you're very close to him, he's been a really beautiful being in my life, very important. Just the name, just the picture, triggers off gratitude and goodness. So we all have that. We all have. We all have triggers and connections to that which is good. And what we're doing in this meditation is we are remembering those triggers deliberately and then we're just uh, emphasizing them in our meditation as much as possible. I like to st- tell the story of a, of a, of a man I was uh, chatting with in England long ago who uh, had, a, had been on the, the coal board in, in England. He was a high up in the coal board and he got fired after 30 years of work without in, in a really mean and cruel way and he had been a, and had been so much a part of his life and he was so angry he was so angry he was so angry and uh, so I tried to kind of try to introduce some practices of metta bhavana to his heart boy it was hard to find anything how about your mom a hater <laughs> wife no um which is, you know, we just went through the whole universe, couldn't. And then I found out that he liked animals, and he worked for the RSPCA. He went into the animal shelters, and he loved cats. So we did cats. <laughs> so he brought forth whatever the cat's name was, Tommy or whatever he wants, and that was the connection. That was the connection to the kind of crushed feeling in his heart that opened it. And it doesn't really matter, does it? It's not about the cat. It's about the heart. And so in these meditations on goodwill, 
All we're trying to find is an entry point into the sense of gratitude or into the sense of kindness or into the sense of of whatever way you want to express that. I know some people sometimes find it too abstract, but as soon as they say, well, just do a gratitude practice, just be grateful. And, oh, yeah, I can do that. And they bring up that feeling. And then that begins to stimulate something very wholesome in the heart. I like to use the the heart chakra. I like to use the chest because I think it's an interesting place to be present in. I like it as an alternative to the thinking mind. I like to bring my attention down into the center of the chest and learn to abide there because I've spent too many years sitting up in my gray matter. <laughs> up in the, you know, the gray matter is important, but sometimes it's just boring. <laughs> so to come down to the heart, literally down into the heart. So what you're doing is in this meditation, what I, what I find very helpful. First of all, you're locating your attention somewhere other than your critical mind. And that is one of the big problems with aversion, is that, we, that we're always caught with the averse mind in, in some sense of, you know, life shouldn't be this way. This person has disappointed me, or I've disappointed myself. And that's all in thought. That just can go on and on and on. It's endless. And if you try to just get out of it with thought, you usually just end up kind of arguing with yourself. But if you bring your attention to your chest, and then you do some kind of associative perceptions. You know, you associate your perceptions with the good, with the wholesome, with the kind. And you just keep doing that. It doesn't feel like much, but it begins to bring a different kind of vitality into consciousness. It brings a different reference point than just the critical mind. It brings an attitude which is actually lovely, much easier. It's not so difficult to maintain. And it frees the mind, frees the mind. And then it begins to act as a mirror to that which is averse in your life. And the people that one is averse to, annoyed at, whether it be oneself or others, it doesn't really matter who it is, does it? You know? You could, we could shift all the players in this room or in this monastery or in this workplace or in this family, and we'd, we'd find someone to be angry at, right? <laughs> so it's not about the people outside. Certainly if I'm... You know, if I'm in Syria and someone's shooting at me, that's a whole different case. But in the, in the normal course of events, aversion is, has a potential in the heart that arises stimulated by conditions, right? So certain conditions, the way people act, speak, do what you don't want them to do, it triggers off anger. So then the practice is having, having done like your homework on the cushion, having vitalize the heart with this kind of simple practice, then the homework is to see the triggers of aversion. So someone does something which I find annoying, and on a functional basis, maybe I have to tell them at work or at home or at the monastery, but I see, yeah, with this as condition, the aversion arises. Now I begin to try to work with that very aversion as an object of awareness and not take it to thought not take it to, to self and other, not take it to ego narratives, but know it as an object, and then introduce a different kind of language, like, yeah, but may I be free from anger? Or, yeah, I forgive you. Or, or whatever it is. And if, if you have that much awareness that you can see the person triggering anger in you, and you don't, you don't argue with yourself about it, you say, oh, there it is, there's my friend. 
there's the anger. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, that's what it feels like. That's a huge step because now you're no longer just the angry person or the person feeling guilty about the anger. You are aware of anger as an object and that's the way out. That's the freedom, isn't it? As long as there's the narrative of anger, self-hatred, hatred of others, you know, it, 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 there's no mindfulness there. There's just the believing in it. So metta practice isn't like a substitution of trying to get rid of anger. It's like seeing this perception of shouldn't be this way, they shouldn't be that way, I shouldn't be that way, and actually feeling that and then, and then playing around with it. Like change the language. Feel it in the heart. Feel it in the body. But not try to get rid of it or just indulge it, but see, okay, that's the object. How can I be free from that? How can I not go down that pathway? That's hard. That's really, really hard. That's one-third of the work. Greed, hatred, delusion, right? So that's 30% you get there. And if you're uh, a very angry type, it's maybe 60%. Uh, so it kind of depends on how you're, how you're structured and conditioned. But you, have to, you do have to see it as something which is valuable when it arises, rather than, I am a bad person, because that, that doesn't work. You're not a bad person. You're not a good person. There is anger. It's different. It's a different mind state. There is anger. There is aversion. There is annoyance. There is judgment. Oh, it feels this way. Now that state of mind is awareness. The other is self, ego. So let's say, um, like for me as a senior monk here, I, I sometimes suggest some discipline that I think would be helpful. And I always hate doing that. <laughs> Uh, and because I know someone will do the opposite. So I'll say, let's not do that. And then some person wouldn't have heard what I said, and they'll do the opposite. And it really, you know, it's like, it's a very good practice to just watch, oh, this is what it feels like. Not that, not that people are, people are very cooperative, but sometimes, you know, messages don't get across or... Or whatever, or I misinterpret, and then, and then I say, "Oh yeah, this is a version. A version feel this way." Now my rational mind says, "Well, they can't do that. It shouldn't be like that." Or my judging mind says, "You should be more compassionate." But awareness just says, "It's like this." Annoyance is like this. It feels like this, and that's where annoyance really begins to shift in your mind when you don't take it personally, when you see it as a condition that is triggered off by events, conditioned by family, background, whatever. It was a survival technique, maybe one used, and it doesn't really work anymore or whatever. But now you see it as an object. And then a lot of it is like just writing it out. Just not... Every time your mind wants to go to uh, annoyance and, and, and believe in that, just know it. Oh, this is annoyance. You just keep it. Annoyance feels this way. Feels this way. And you go back to the heart. Back to the heart. Back to the heart. You might have to do that for 10, 20 years. Not constantly, not like every second of 10, 20 years, but that might come up a lot because these are powerful forces. Aversion is a very, very powerful force. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's biological, it's natural, there's nothing wrong with it. So our, our kind of bottom line of that is there's a difference between uh, hating, like, like think about it, if, you, if you're like, putting up some shelves and you bang your hammer, uh, you bang your thumb with a hammer, you're really angry. 
Oh, damn it. Bang, yeah? That's a kind of... Or you, you drop the lasagna on the floor, right? This goes crashing in the floor. Wow. So that's an anger that comes and goes. But that's no big deal. There's that kind. Then there's, there's the kind of the aversion, which is just the constant self-critical mind. You know, you never get it right. Never get it right. Never get it right. You know, you look in the mirror, too many wrinkles. You say something too loud, too soft. Didn't do it right. Didn't you know? Just constancy, self, self, uh, self criticism, self judgment that you have to wake up to. Right? How do you wake up to it? Well, try to see it as a thought. And what can you do? What can you do about that? You can. Ideally, you don't believe it. You say, Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes it's so insidious because it's been conditioned into ourselves. So then, what do you do? Make it conscious. Play with it. Like, like, let's say you drop the lasagna on the floor and you start to get angry. You say, oh, you idiot, very dumb. Well, you drop the lasagna on the floor and do something like, really, like, say, yeah, it's, it's, it's nuclear disaster. <laughs> <laughs> make it stupid. Make it ridiculous. Play with it. Make it conscious. Because right? sometimes we take our own self-disparagement so seriously when it's no big deal. I, I remember once I was... I was really heavy on myself about some minor rule in the monastery and one of the monks said, it's not, not, a, not a project, you didn't kill anyone. I said, oh, thank you. <laughs> but it felt like I had killed someone. What, what had I done? I probably just dropped a lasagna on the floor or something. Nothing serious. So sometimes our, our aversions are so habitually overblown, you know, and, and, and so you have to know that in yourself, don't you? And then make it conscious, make it absurd. That's a really good one. You just make it a joke. Still be responsible. You still got to clean up the lasagna on the floor. You got to do that and cook it again or whatever. <laughs> but but to actually like play with the kind of worst thing in your mind rather than think you're horrible because you're not. You're not horrible. This is just conditioning. It's horrible conditioning, right? But it's not who you are. You are that awareness. So as you establish awareness on this horrible condition, you begin to have, you begin to be available to the spiritual depths of your heart. Because now, you're not preoccupied with the aversion, you know the aversion, you're practicing awareness. So there's a kind of double, a double strength going on there. Not only are you giving up the tendency towards aversion, you're developing the clarity, which is the gateway to peace in your own heart, awareness of aversion. Okay, I'll leave that for reflection.